Welcome to the anointed and transformational teaching ministry of Pastor Walea Kinshiku, Senior Pastor of House of Praise Mississauga, Canada, a parish of the Redeemed Christian Church of God. It is our prayer that as you listen to this message, that you will be empowered to achieve your dreams and fulfill your destiny. God bless you as you listen. Priority of the kingdom, part two. So we've been looking at the kingdom of God. Uh, you know, we've been looking at this and we've started with uh, introduction into, you know, the introduction to kingdoms. We spoke about kingdoms generally, the different types of kingdoms. Then we started speaking about, you know, narrowed it down to the kingdom of God. Okay? And last week we particularly spoke about what is, the, what is of the highest powers in the kingdom of God. And we, we looked at that. If you, were not join, if you did not join us last week, I will encourage you to do that. So we said last week that the highest priority in the kingdom of God, okay, what is of the highest priority in the kingdom of God is the word of God. And we, we looked at several scriptures to show that, okay, uh, uh, particularly we look at this, this story in Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42 that Jesus spoke about, okay, and Jesus told us that according to the TPT translation, Jesus said that what is of the highest priority, okay, is what is the most important thing is by choosing to sit at the feet of Jesus Christ, okay, Choosing to sit at the feet of Jesus Christ. So today, we're going to move forward a little bit from that. Uh, I'll continue. The first thing I want to let you know today is that this word of God that we've been speaking about is a living force. The word of God is a living force. Okay? The word of God is powerful. Okay? It's not only a living force. Is also powerful. Alright? So Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. It says, For the word of God is living and powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and the marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So the word of God is living and powerful. You know, when I was growing up, my paternal grandmother, God bless her, you know, she used to go to church. You know, she used to attend, you know, this revival meetings that used to happen. They were happening in Nigeria at that time, in Lagos, Nigeria at that time, I should say. They were hosted by a wonderful church called the Christ Apostolic Church. Okay, so my grandmother used to you know, take me there. I was 10 years old, 11 years old. You know, she'll take me there. And, and you know, you know, this is just my grandmother, right? My grandmother, you know, she, she used to believe, you know, she just, she believed and, you know, passed it on to us then. You know, just no general belief. What she used to do then was that when she wants to sleep at night, she would read some scriptures, okay, about protection. I've, I've been read those scriptures, she would not put the Bible under her pillow. Then she would sleep on it. She would sleep. You know, she just felt comfortable doing that. You know, and, and also believed. But the, the truth is this. The fact is this. Listen carefully. The word of God, and I want you to hear me clearly so you don't make a mistake. The word of God is not powerful 
in the Bible. The, the word Bible is not a religious word. The word Bible just means a book of books. The word of God is not powerful in the Bible. The word of God is powerful when it has left the Bible and is in your heart. So it is not living as written. It is living when it is understood and planted in your heart. So the word of God is a living force. Hebrews 4.12. So some people take the Bible and they think that the Bible on its own as a book is a powerful book. Don't let me bust your bubble. It is not, it's a book. It is when you take that word, read the word, and plant that word in your heart, that's when it becomes active or living. That's when it becomes a force. So my point there then is make sure you read the Bible and read it with a full attention so you can take that word so the word can be not just the written word in the Bible but a living word in your heart. Alright? So the word of God is powerful because it energizes okay? It works to accomplish. The word powerful here okay? That's what it means. The word that is translated powerful in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 it means it energizes, it works to accomplish, and it produces due results. Please follow me very carefully this morning. It produces due results. It energizes. That's why when you take the word of God and it's assimilated, all right, you feel energetic. It's energetic. It works to accomplish it produces the results. When I first, you know, when I first started out as a pastor, uh, I used to hear a lot about burnout, burnout. People get burnt out. You hear somebody, you know, even pastoring. I remember, in fact, as a matter of fact, the first wedding I ever, well, one of the first set of weddings, not the first one, but the, one of the first set of weddings I conducted, which was in 2002, but that was not the first one I conducted. I remember we held it in a church in Toronto, downtown. Downtown Toronto. You know, that's where the, the, the church building we used. The pastor of that church was a, a wonderful man, gracious man, you know, very gracious to us. So hosted that particular couple, and I went there, I did, conducted the wedding. This was 2002, just two years, a little over two years that I had just been in ministry. Now, I remember after the wedding, the wedding was packed, and I preached, and I spoke, and the whole atmosphere was very charged. After the wedding, the pastor called me. And I was just, you know, thanking him for allowing us to use the building and all of that. Then he said something to me. He said, he said, Pastor, he said, what do you do about, what do you, what do, you do about your Monday blues? As at that time, the word blues, all it means to me was music. <laughs> you know, from where I was coming from. When I hear blues, <laughs> it, it means, it means, you know, it's, you know, you know, type of music that, you know, yeah. So he said, Monday blues. I thought myself, blues. I've left that too. I don't want to be dealing with blues anymore. <laughs> so the man said, Monday blues. I didn't understand what he was saying. Then he said, you know, this Monday thing where you get depressed, lethargic, and all of that, what do you do with it? You know, I said, I, 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 don't, I don't know about it. Because I said, I didn't know what I meant. So the man now opened up and started telling me that he has this Monday blues that 
Monday morning, he feels so lethargic, he's so depressed, he wants to leave the ministry. Now, remember, I was just starting. This man will probably, I was in my early 30s, this man will probably be in his late 50s, early 60s. The man told me, he said he's tired, he wants to, he wants to, he wants to, he wants to leave the ministry. It was later on that I found out, and this statistic was about so many years ago now, about, maybe about 10 years ago. I don't know what the present day statistics is, but, but 10 years ago, I found out that 1,400 pastors leave their positions in North America every year. 1,400 pastors leave their position every year in North America. Like I said, this statistics was accurate as of about 10 years ago. I don't know what it is right now, but I know it's, it's, I, I believe it's going to be more. Okay? Because darkness has covered the earth and deep darkness the people. And what, all of, as the, 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 what happened is that, so when the man said that to me, I started being on the lookout for that. And I, and I realized that what actually helps tremendously, and maybe a pastor is out there watching now, and this is going to be a blessing to you. What actually happens is that when you're emotionally drained, spiritually drained, and physically drained, and you giving out, and you know, when we say ministering, ministering, you're giving out, and giving out of yourself. You know, like Paul said, I will gladly spend and be spent. The only way you can be replenished after you have been spent is by the word of God. You also, as a pastor, as a leader, as an individual, you have to allow the word of God to do what only the word of God can do. Okay? And you, you just understand that our own responsibility is to take that word, plant that word in our heart, and allow the word to do the accomplishment. Okay? Of what you, to produce the results it was ordained to produce by God. Okay? So today we're going to really look at understanding the power of the world. The power of the world. That's what we really want to understand. So the word of God in the New Testament is compared to four main things in the New Testament. Okay? Four main things in the New Testament. So the word of God is compared to four main things in the New Testament. Okay? The first thing the word of God is compared to is food. Food. Okay? In the New Testament. Okay? Food. And 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 2 says, like newborn babies, this is the New Living Translation, okay? Crave, you must, must crave the pure spiritual make so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Then it goes on to say, cry out for this nourishment. Let me take that again. Like newborn babies, okay? You must crave the pure spiritual milk. You see that milk, food that you may grow into a full experience of salvation, cry out for this nourishment. Okay, of course, NKJV says, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word of God. So, God wants you and I to be fed by his word. So, I want you to note that the word of God is compared to milk in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. But it goes further in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. The Bible makes us understand that not only should we have desire, the sincere make 
of the word of God, but also it says in Hebrews 5, verse 13 and 14, someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know what to doesn't know how to do what is right. But solid food, this is the NLT again. Solid food, solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So you see in First Peter, it talks about milk. Now in the book of Hebrews, it's talking about solid food. One translation says strong meat. What is saying the same thing. As a matter of fact, beyond the New Testament, if you look at Old Testament also, there are five levels of nourishment of the Word of God. The first most basic level is water. Okay? It's water. Uh, water, just water. The Bible is, comp the Word of God is compared to water. You see that in Ephesians 5.26. It tells us that, you know, worship the Word by the water. So you have water. Oh, you know, so there's water of the world. And water is good, but milk is better in terms of nourishment. So then you have milk, level number two. Then, of course, you have the strong, solid food. Okay? Solid food. That's level number three. Then you have Proverbs 24, verse 13 and 14. You have honey. So beyond solid food, now you have honey. Okay? You have honey. And, you know, that, that's very, very important. Then, finally, level five, you have wine. The Word of God is also compared to wine. You see, it is the wine level, that level, number five, that intoxicates people. That's the point whereby you, you are reading your Bible, you get a rema, the God breathes on the Word, the Word enters into you, you are intoxicated, you are charged by it. That's what I mean by intoxicated, Okay charged by the world okay but for now let's just leave it at these two levels of nourishment solid food okay so the purpose of the word of god for you and i is to enable us to grow into the full manifestation of god's plan for our lives the word of god is what enables you and i to grow and this is so so important because we can only give expression to God's specific plan in our lives and the provisions for our lives to the degree of our spiritual growth. Please, I need to emphasize this. You and I cannot experience God, neither can we express God beyond our growth, our spiritual growth level. Let me say that again. We can't experience God and we cannot express God beyond our level of spiritual growth. Many, let me, maybe I should just put it this way to you. Most of the problems in the body of Christ is not as a result of the devil. I'm not saying the devil doesn't exist. Of course, I know the devil exists. It's not as a result of the devil. It's as a result of lack of individual spiritual growth when the body of christ today today at least in north america i can say authoritatively is full of a lot of infants people are just not growing some people are expecting the, the spiritual growth to be automatic some are expecting you know god to just automatically perform a miracle 
for them to grow. But God has chosen not to do it that way. You and I must take individual responsibility for our spiritual growth. You find people in the body of Christ that have been Christians for 20 years. 20 years. That's a long time. 10 years. 20 years. They are still behaving as infants. They are still drinking milk of the world. They still don't have what is called the operational knowledge of the word of God. Not just knowledge of the word of God, quoting it like a parrot. I can quote it. But the, what is called the operational knowledge. Operational knowledge of the word of God. Okay. So this is very important. Why is this important? Acts chapter 20 verse 32. Let's look at what it says. Okay. It tells you and I. You know, Galatians 4 verse 1 or 2 says the same thing. Acts 4 20, 32. Let me just quote it. What it says in the NKJV is, it says, I commend you unto God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who have been sanctified. Sanctified to be those who are separated from the world and separated to God. But they still cannot have their inheritance. So can you imagine that? You know, when I was growing up, as a Christian, erroneously, and I say that authoritatively because it's based on scripture, erroneously, they told us that all you don't worry about anything, all you need to just live a holy life and everything will be fine. You know, people say statements that are true but incomplete. And the true statements that are incomplete are the most dangerous ones. No. True, it's true that we have to live a holy life for he says, be holy for I am holy. We have to live a life of holiness, okay? But just being sanctified alone does not mean you will experience God and express God. The word of God is important. This is what the word of God says. Acts chapter 20 verse 32. I commend you unto God and to the word, word of his grace, which is able to build you up and then give you an inheritance among the select group that are already sanctified. So that you are sanctified, you now need this word that will build you up and give you an inheritance. Let me say this to you this way. There is a lot that is waiting for you to possess, but it's waiting for your growth. It's waiting for you to be built up. And one of the things that the Word of God does for us, one of the reasons why it's so important, is that it is the only avenue, let me express this to you, the only avenue through which and by which we grow. Let me say this to you. Hear me clearly. Hear me, please. I don't like it, don't want you to get me wrong. Fasting does not lead to spiritual growth. Hear me clearly. So you don't get me wrong. Okay? Prayer does not lead to spiritual growth. Okay? Service does not lead to spiritual growth. Listen, prayer and fasting, so hear me clearly, so you don't misunderstand me. Prayer and fasting allows you and I to be in a position whereby the word of God can penetrate our heart and change us. We can be sensitive to it. Okay? And it is the word of God that leads to spiritual growth. When I gave my life to Christ, I thank God for the ministry of a man called Jack Aford. Jack Aford is the, you know, one of the fathers in the body of Christ. Uh, great man of God. I remember one statement he made that, that really, really helped me. 
He said, there is no spiritual growth outside of the word of God. That statement helped me. There is no spiritual growth outside of the word of God. And that's true. So you can't, if you find somebody say, I've been a Christian for a long time, and they're praying, but they're not reading the Bible, and they're not allowing the word of God to change them. They're not growing. They're not growing. There's no spiritual growth outside of the word of God. Oh, somebody said, well, but the Bible says in the book of Jude, verse 20, praying in the Holy Ghost, building up yourself, you know, by praying in the Holy Ghost. That's true. It says that. That building up, he said, building up yourself, listen to what it says, building up yourself on your most holy faith. See what it says there? So it's not saying just building up yourself. You are building up yourself on your most holy faith, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So you see that? So what the prayer really does for you and I, it helps us to be, to be sensitive to be tender, to be receptive. It makes our heart good ground for the word of God. So it is the word of God. You know, it is the word of God that allows us to grow. And without, without this growth, okay, without this growth, we can't really do much, okay? Without the growth. So we need to grow. I, I, I really like this Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 to 2. It says, think of it this way, NLT translation, if a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children, they are not different. They are not better off than slaves until they grow up. We see many people in the body of Christ, they're not better than slaves. They're not better than slaves. And in this case now, it's not talking about physical slavery, although we, still, we know that human trafficking and all of that is still going on. Here now, he's talking about standard of living. We see Christians that are as poor as unbelievers, as sick as unbelievers, as depressed as unbelievers. And all of this, the Bible says, is because we are not growing up. Grown up. It's until they grow up. So it means that it is when you and I grow up that we shake off the yoke of slavery. When we grow up, we say to ourselves, 1 Corinthians 7 verse 23, you are bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. It's when you and I grow up that we have the capacity to say to the slave master, no, no, taskmaster, no. We can now say to sickness, we can say to poverty, we can say to shame, we can say to all those negative things, no, no more. When we grow up, and verse 2 says, verse 2 says there is a time upset by the father. In other words, this is not talking about time as in chronos, as in a specific date. It's talking about a particular level. You and I need to grow up to a particular stage for us to be able to handle uh, those things. All right. Number two, the word of God is compared to a seed in the New Testament. So the word of God is powerful because it's compared to food. Number two, it is also compared to a seed. Seed. In the book of Luke, chapter 8, verse 11, okay? Luke, chapter 8, verse 11, Jesus says, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Now, what I want you to notice in this sentence is, Jesus said, the seed. It didn't say a seed. 
He didn't say the word of God is a seed. He didn't say that. He said, the seed. And that carries a lot of implication. What it means is this. It is the main seed. The word of God is the main seed uh, that makes every other seed to work. Okay? It is the main seed that makes every other seed count. The word of God is the seed that makes every other seed count. So every other good thing you're doing, you are um, you're sowing into the spirit. Okay? And we're going to see that now in Galatians 6, verse 7 to 8. Okay? It says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, so he, the same he will reap. Verse 8 says, he who sows to his flesh, will of the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the spirit, will of the spirit reap everlasting life. When I was a younger Christian, this scripture used to bring a lot of fear to me. You know, a lot of fear. But actually, now, with a, a law that God has helped me to grow, this scripture, there's no other scripture that comforts me. Okay? When I'm dealing with human beings, particularly these people called Pentecostals, Charismatics, than this scripture. He said, don't be deceived. God is no more. Whatever a man sows, that's what they will reap. He who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. Look at it in the TPT. The harvest you reap is revealing the seed you planted. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? The harvest you are reaping is just a revelation of the seed you planted. If you, want, if you plant the corrupt seeds of a self-life in this natural realm, then you can expect a harvest of corruption. But if you plant good seeds of the spirit life, you will reap beautiful fruits that grow from an everlasting life. So many people want beautiful fruits, but they don't plant the right seeds. The word of God is what makes every other good seed you sow. So some people say, so let's talk about sowing into the spirit for a minute, shall we? So we fast, we pray, we, do, we give, we serve God in church. And some people say, I've fasted, have prayed, I've even, I've even given a sacrificial seed, I've done everything. Yes, you've done everything around the main thing without doing the main thing. The main thing is that the seed that will make all of these other seeds to work is not there. We can pray amiss. We can worship and it can be in vain. We can give even our body and it promise me nothing. I showed you all of this last week. But you can't have the, the world is called the incorruptible seed. You can't have the world and it will fail. For the grass will wither. The flower will fade. But the word of God abides forever and evermore. Oh my God, my God, for so shall my word be that comes out of my mouth. It shall not, no. You see, this is the one chance thing. It shall not return to me void. I told that word not to return to me void. When the word is coming back to God, it must be coming back with gratitude based on a testimony. So, someone said, that's why, you know, today's Christians are amazing. 
Someone say, oh, I'm going to, I'm facing a challenge. You know, come to the pastor. Pastor, I don't even know I'm tired. I'm facing a challenge. I've been looking for a job for six months now. No job. I've had an interview. And before you start thinking that they are not serious, you say, and I've prayed. I haven't got my friends to pray with me. I prayed. I fasted. I even did, you know what, African people. I've not said that in my Bible, but African people say, I even did dry fast. That's amazing. The first time on Jesus. I even did dry fast. Because the Bible says after Jesus fasted, he was hungry. Not that he was thirsty. Which means he drank water. You know, but these people are their level is above Jesus, African people. He said, I even did dry fast. <laughs> you know, and I don't know, nothing. Nothing. I was even in the picture. Pastor said, give an offering. I, I even gave the offering, nothing. You see, they, and you say, okay, no problem. God is faithful. I don't want you to, you know, I know you can be weary, but, you know, we got to give you another push. But in the meantime, here are some two, three books. And you know, it's amazing. God has helped us in this ministry. When we, when we recommend those books to you like that, uh, you come to us, we give you the books free. Free. We don't tell you to go and buy it. We just give you the books free. You know, here are some three, four books. You know, thank God for my wife, Topsy. You know, she will give you the books. <laughs> Kenneth E. again. you know. <laughs> she's the authority of the believer. But the book is actually believer's authority. But anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, authority of the believer, she'll give it to you. Mountain moving faith. There you go. And depending on your situation, fighting invisible forces. <laughs> if your situation is a little bit uh, deeper, no, Satan get lost. <laughs> you know, she'll, those are the books she'll give you. She'll give you those books. You know, so give you some of these books and say, you know, go and read these books. And you, see, you, you could see it straight away, the attitude of the people, the way they take the books. Mm, thank you. They don't know that the, the Israel book is the solution. Dr. Miles Monroe, God bless him, he used to tell us this. He said, if you want to hide something from a black man, put it inside a book. Because he will never read it. During the days of slavery, a slave master will give the slave anything, including very good health system. If the slave is sick, he will run to the hospital to make sure the slave is well. Why? Because I don't want him to die. It's very useful. In the sugarcane plantation, there's only one thing. The slave master will never give a slave. And that's education. That's education. So you see them, they don't want to read a book. But what did Jesus say? If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Sir, you will know the truth. <laughs> and that truth is what will make you free. But they don't, they don't understand. They're waiting for somebody to bring an handkerchief out of their pocket. And say, please, hold the fuck on us. Just hold the fuck on us. You know, turn it, turn it, turn the handkerchief. You see, as you're turning the handkerchief, your situation is turning. Liar. Let me say this to you. You can never get anything permanent from God based on those type of things. The only thing, anything can be permanent is when it's built on the world. When it's built on the word of God, that's it. It will stand the, more than the test of time. Even after you have gone, it will still be standing. If you need a miracle, please listen very carefully to me. If you need a miracle, right, the first place you should, you should understand that, you know, every miracle is a seed. It's a, sorry, every miracle is a harvest. The harvest, the seed that produces that harvest is the word of God. Let me repeat that so that you get it. Every miracle is a seed, is a harvest rather. Every miracle. So I want healing. That healing 
when the healing manifests in my body, that is a harvest. I want prosperity. I want a breakthrough. I want a job. I want a wife. I want a husband. I want children. I want growth in what I'm doing. Please understand this. I want joy in my family. It is a, whatever you're looking for is a harvest. The seed that will bring that harvest is all scattered. Hear me clearly. All scattered in the Bible. That seed is scattered in the Bible. It's not in one place. It's scattered through the whole Bible. So if you want a harvest, I want you to hear me what I've just said. If you want a harvest, for example, let's, use, let's start with healing. Maybe we'll use a second example. You want a harvest of healing, a miracle of healing. Note that what you're looking for is a harvest, right? All right. The seed that will produce the harvest of healing is scattered all over the Bible. It is not in one place. The Bible is not written like, in, it's not written like a normal book. Whereby if you want to study chemistry, you open to chapter 5. You want to, in chemistry, acid, basis, and salt is in chapter 5. In physics books, electricity, chapter 12. You know, advanced physics, Nelkon and Parker, that's the name of the book that I read. Electrostatics, you see it, chapter 3. You go and open it. You start learning, learning some strange things. Van der Graaff generator, God have mercy on Van der Graaff. You know, you see all of that written there. Anytime you want to go back to it, you go to chapter 3. The Bible is not written that way. That's why when people get confused. So let me tell you what to do. So because the seed is scattered around the Bible, that is why the best place, hear me clearly now, the best way to gather the seed that is scattered in the Bible is to do a topical study. Not just to read the Bible. So I'm reading my Bible. No. You read your Bible to feed yourself. That's food. To gather the seed, you need a topical study. I hope you understand what I've just said. So, if I take my Bible, and I have my devotional plan, and I read, maybe I'm reading three chapters a day, five chapters a day, whatever chapters you're reading a day, like we did the 90-day challenge of the New Testament, what that is doing for us mostly is to feed us to build us up, to give us an inheritance. So that's the first part I just shared. But when I now need financial breakthrough, I have to go do a topical study. But you can't do a topical study to feed yourself. Okay? A topical study is to gather seed you need for the harvest of the topic you're looking for. Okay? So you now go through the Bible. And you know, today now, it's easier because we have, we have BibleGateway.com. So you can easily tell the internet, tell the, you know, to give it to you. In the earlier days when we used to have big, big books, you have to go through all manners of concordances to pull it out. Right now, you don't need all of that. You just pull everything out from BibleGateway.com. So you have to type in there, heal, healing, heal, sickness, disease, all of that. You pull everything out. Maybe... I don't know, maybe 200, 300 verses of scripture might come out. Print it out. If, and if you're somebody that, you know, you're so electronic, bookmark it. Go through them one by one. It takes, you know, well, that's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's not just for pastors. 
Jesus said to his disciples, if you continue my word, he didn't say to the pastors, disciples, even if the pastor will not do that, the pastor will never get the harvest of what he's looking for. God is no respecter of person. You do a topical study. It is in the process of the topical study that God, the, the Holy Spirit, will take the relevant seed and through you praying, and if you're now fasting, all the better, and plant it in your heart. Plant it in your heart. Please, I want to, say, I want to make a statement right now. I want to look at this statement I'm about to make in context. Okay? This is in context. Don't look at this statement. Don't take it out of context. Okay? I say this statement I'm about to make to the glory of God. And I know it's going to puncture some people's religion, but it's a fact. And I want to help some pastors out there. Let me say this to you. As a pastor, ordination of the pastor does not grow the church. I want to say it again. Ordination of the pastor does not grow the church. The name of the denomination does not grow the church. Because these are all things that we were told when we started out that automatically, uh, congratulations, you have been ordained now, uh, congratulations. Today is exactly 19 years I was ordained as the pastor. I started out before I was ordained. Two years I pastored without, before I was ordained. The church grew to 165 people from the living room. I was ordained as the pastor on the 20th of June, 2002, in Chicago. I started out in April of year 2000 as the pastor. And the church grew from a living room of some people to 165 people. There are people today that have been, they've been ordained three times. Church is still not 165 people in North America. Ordination does not grow a church. Name of denomination does not grow a church. Let me tell you what grows a church. What grows a church is the seed of church growth found, gathered, that have been scattered in the Bible. When you gather it and you plant it in your heart, then it shall accomplish that for which it is said. That's how it happens. That's how it happens. If you can't find your congregation on the face, on the pages of the Bible, you can never see them in the space of the church. You have to find them in the Bible. When you find them there, you rise up from that study and you say to yourself, it's done. I've seen it. You know, the Bible says, if Proverbs 24 verse 13, it says, my son, eat honey for which is good and the honeycomb which is sweet to your taste. So shall the knowledge of wisdom be to your soul. Look at what it now says. If you have found it, Many people are saying, I know my resolution will not be cut off. It has already been cut off because you did not find anything. If you have found it, so you must, somebody say, how long do I do the topic until you find it? There's no how long. You find it. You have to find it. It pleased God. Let me help some pastors that are watching practically. It pleased God to help me. Some years ago, God told me I should do a study of the book of Mark. I was wondering, Book of Mark, it's the church is about to grow. Do a study. I'm, I'm sharing this with you, a personal story. Part of how our surprise grew and broke to Salem barriers was that study. The book of Mark. In fact, because I'm a little bit of a dramatic person, I went to buy different colors of pen, I remember. I started writing everything down from the book of Mark. And one of his first scriptures that struck me was Mark chapter 3, verse 21. I can never forget. 
Mark 3, 21. The Bible says that they came to Jesus and his family came to him to take him away. What? They said he is out of his mind. Now, you say, what does this scripture have to do with church growth? They said Jesus is out of his mind. And from this scripture, the Holy Spirit planted something in my heart. And he said, if you don't think outside of the box until people think you're out of your mind, you can't be outstanding. So I realized immediately, I can't do things the way it used to be done. And he told me from this verse, when you start doing things outside of the box, but it's scriptural, people that are your family, family now does not have to be your siblings, siblings. It could be family in church, family in the denomination, family of Christ, Pentecostal Christians around you. They want to take you and put you back in the box because it's challenging the status quo. So God said, if you're going to have a standing result, you're going to be out of your mind. I saw some things in this book of Mark. 16 chapters only. It took me about three months to really absorb it. I would wake up in the morning and I would come drive to church. Every day, I'm telling you a true life story. When I get to church, I don't go to my office. I get to my office before I get to the sanctuary in our previous building. I don't go to my office. I go straight into the sanctuary, sit at the front with my table, and I'll read it. I'll read the book of Mark. Study it. Study. Taking it one by one by one. When I came out of that place, I knew. I knew it was over for the enemy. The church was going to grow. There's no doubt about that. Because if you have found it, there shall be a reward. There shall be a reward. So in whatever you want to do, make sure you first find the seed. Find the seed. Okay? So it is the seed that will put plant in our heart that produces the harvest of breakthroughs and testimonies in our lives. The seed we plant in our heart. So if there's nothing in your hand, nothing is showing in your life right now, no testimony, no breakthrough, to the degree to which you want to see, don't complain. Check the seed in your heart. Check the seed in your heart. That's where to check. The Bible says in Colossians 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Let it dwell, not sparingly, no, like many Christians would do. Don't let it dwell sparingly in you. Let it dwell richly. Then singing with grace in your heart. So you see, in your heart. Let it dwell there in your heart. And this, this is why you and I, listen carefully, this is why you and I must be very careful about offenses. Because if the word that is planted in our hearts is what brings testimonies in our lives, the things you and I are able to handle, they are as a result of the things that you and I have been able to plant in our heart. You know, <laughs> I had one, of, one man of God say many years ago, Reverend Sam Ademi, he said many years ago, when God wants to bring something into your life, he brings it into your heart. It comes into your heart first. That's why the Bible says, guard your heart. But for many Christians, they don't understand these dynamics. So what Satan does is that he has filled their hearts with all manners of offenses. So there's no place to plant the word anymore. Their life, they're waiting for testimonies all around them. They don't understand. 
that there's, the world cannot be planted. The world is falling on stony ground and the beds of the air is picking it up and going. So what they think the enemy is stealing, they think the enemy is stealing the world. The enemy is just not stealing the world. He's stealing the testimonies that will have come from the world that should have been planted. Okay? Let's look, quickly take a look, good look at this. Let's look at Apostle Paul in Ephesus. Now, you know, and this is the scripture for, for us in the house of praise for this year. Acts 19, verse 11. Right? Acts 19, 11, you know, we talk about the fact that God did unusual miracles through the hand of Paul. He performed unusual things through the hand of Paul. Oh, and we, we like that as Christians. So you know what we do as Christians? When I say we do, I do it too. You know, this is what we used to do. God performed unusual miracles. Ah, by the hand of Paul. And if you're a Pentecostal, like I used to be. <laughs> a Pentecostal. What do we do this scripture? Ah, we pray. We pray. That's what we do. Hey, oh God. Unusual miracle, oh God. You will do it, oh God, you will do it. And I, I was there too. Until God started showing me that before you start disturbing yourself, you are not going to get the unusual miracles that Paul did. Until, until you have to start from verse 8, or what, 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 what Bible scholars will call the pretext. Okay, look at what it says. So let me show you. It says, and he went into the synagogue. This is Paul now. Okay, and he spoke boldly. For how many months? Three months. You see, it's not going to happen overnight. Three months. Three months. And this speaking, you could see that he wasn't just declaring like Pentecostals would say, it is well, it is well, it is well. Uh -uh. He was reasoning to them. That's the process of meditating through the world. Reasoning and persuading them concerning the things of the kingdom of God. How many people can really wait for three months to plant the world? People today want just, you know, microwave thing. They don't want to wait for three months. They're waiting for, they just want something to just happen. He said, three months, he was doing that. And verse 9, when some people were hardened and did not believe and spoke evil of the way, what did he do? He departed from them, withdrew the disciples, the ones that believed, and he kept on reasoning every day in the school of Tyrannus. One translation says, in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So he went to rent a lecture hall. And he kept on doing that. If you study the scripture, you realize that he did this for two years. Every day. Every day they would come and do a Bible study for two years. Every day. And this continued for two years. Well, what happened then? Verse 10. Until the whole people in Asia, they heard the word of God. Until that thing penetrated their heart. Their heart was hardened. It took two years to get that thing, that seed, really planted. And the thing germinated. Then what happened? After verse 10, explosion. Then God worked on usual miracle. This is scripture. So you can see, it took some time. The unusual miracle did not happen overnight. The unusual miracle happened because Paul the apostle, obviously if Paul the apostle is taking time read, um, teaching the world daily, for a person to teach the world daily, definitely they are consuming the world daily. He must have been consuming the world daily and he was reasoning with them on a daily basis. Without the shadow of doubt, he had planted the world in his heart in an unusual way. That's what brought the unusual miracles. It didn't just happen. You know, one of the things that is happening today in Pentecostalism, 
is that Pentecostalism now has turned to Hollywood. Now we have superstars in the kingdom of God that we venerate. We don't ask questions. How did this person become the star they have become? Instead of us venerating them and worshiping them, instead of us you ask questions. How did you become what you became? How did you become what you become? Recently, I was hearing that China, you know, um, what's it called? Uh, the National um, NASA, anyway, in the US, you know, they sent this um, little robotic thing to Mars. It was taking photographs and, you know, doing all manner of things on Mars, which was a very great scientific breakthrough. Two, some two, three weeks ago, thereabout, recently, China also sent their own. And you wonder, how does China also press a button and something lands in mass? Ah, it didn't happen overnight. It wasn't just two weeks that China put it together. Many years ago, I remember when I was in the university, in the 80s, and it was it started before then, what China used to do, they used to try and get, because they used to send me magazines even while I was in Nigeria. You know, they used to send magazines from China. What they did, they took the best of the best of their own brains in their universities and sent them to Harvard, Princeton, Stanford, all these wonderful schools, MIT, all of those places. Those people, you know, came out of those universities, smart engineers and all of that, and got jobs in IBM, Ford Motors, you know, and all of these different places, consultancy firms on Wall Street, different, different places. They got smart people from across the world, particularly third world countries that people like us then that just felt that we just needed to leave the country. You know, they got them, people that were smart also, they brought them into their countries, you know, mingled with their people, let them see different areas and different angles of how people do things. Then, eventually, those people were sent there with a mission. After you worked there for some years, then they made a demand. After they are soon, come back. They came back, they created a platform, an environment that was con conducive to innovation, and then, then they created a system to support that. Then they unleashed them. What we are seeing today is as a result of seed sown. Whereas in some other countries, and I don't know what to mention, I don't, I don't remember any example now of some countries. Those countries together, night video, the people that are supposed to go to work, they can't go to work, they're in the night video. Oh God, change the country. Oh God, change the country. Oh God, change the country. And God is saying, until you guys change. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work. They say, change the country, and they've locked the universities. Universities are on lo lockdown. Nobody's going to university. Everything is on lockdown. Schools are completely destroyed. But, oh God, change the country. Oh God, change the country. It doesn't work. The religious leaders are there. They are saying the same prayer, calling people to come and pray. Oh God, change the country. Oh God, change the country. Schools are broken down. It's not going to work. There's no prayer anybody will pray that will suddenly create a factory. It takes men to sit down and think it through. And you, you can't come out of a night vigil and become an engineer. You can't, they can't say, okay, somebody has been rushed to the hospital. He, they have a clot in their brain. He, they, need, they need the surgery right now. They need to take it out of their brain. And you say, excuse me, I can do it. Say, are you a surgeon? So I said, no, I just come out of a night vigil. Seven night vigils. I'll be praying. And drive fast. No, it doesn't work that way. You need to train people through the schools. Train them. Then when they become an expert, then you create an environment, that's what you unleash. Then you create a value system whereby cartoons are not more important than human beings. 
These are the things that are happening in your brain. But people are praying. You should talk about these things. People are, they, the Christians are gathered in one corner. doing oh God, oh God, change the country, oh God, change the country. And they're forming, you know, you know, Pentecostals, you know, we're amazing people. Prayer chain. And they will be advertising it. 72 hour prayer chain. 84 hour prayer chain. This is what Paul did. He was reasoning with them. Reasoning. Then unusual things started happening. Amen. I know some of you are already upset. Topic next week, don't be offended at the pastor. That's topic next week. <laughs> Praise God. God is an amazing God. I want you to write this down, please. Write it down if you're writing. Unusual miracles. It's a direct result of unusual commitment to the word of God. Please write it down if you're writing. If you want to take anything out of that session that I've just finished, take this down. Unusual miracle is as a result of unusual commitment to the word of God. I used to share my testimony that when I first gave my life to Christ, working in Burger King in London, I used to read my Bible for a minimum five hours every day. And that commitment lifted me from abject poverty potential shame and reproach and all manners of things lifted me to where and until i heard the testimony of a man that said when he gave his life to christ he read the bible 16 hours every day you know i saw the res result in the life of the man so i said i'm going to dig deeper this god is no respecter of persons instead of me venerating the man and worshiping the man i want to hear his testimony and i had i dug i took me about three months to find it out the man read the Bible 16 hours every day for three years. This man is a dropout from the university. I went to the university there. And this man today, he owns the university. He runs the university. He has a ministry that, is, that has a global footprint. I'm not saying go and drop out of university. I'm just telling you the power of the word of God. Obviously, if he had finished university, he would have gone further. But the power in the world unusual miracle is a direct result of unusual commitment to the word of god let's let's try see if we can move forward a little bit more what else is the word of god compared to the word of god is food the word of god is a seed but the word of god is also a sword a sword and it's very important at this point to note that there is active warfare going on right now around you well, whether you believe it or not, it's real. It's all in the New Testament. So this is not um, Afrocentric religion. It's not some funny, funny things. This is right there in Scripture. And I'm going to show you a few of the Scriptures in a few minutes, just one or two, just for you to know, in the New Testament, okay? And this battle, please listen. Listen to what I'm about to say. This battle is not for your job. Somebody said, well, you know, the devil is fighting me concerning my job, and that's why I don't have a job. This battle is not against your marriage. Somebody said, well, the, battle is, the devil is fighting me for my marriage. Somebody said, well, the, battle is, the devil is just fighting me for my health. I don't know why the devil is fighting me for my finances. Listen carefully to the next statement I'm about to, you're about to see. The battle is for your destiny. It is true the enemy is attacking your marriage, perhaps attacking your health, Perhaps attacking your immigration papers or stay. Perhaps attacking your finances, attacking you, you know, getting a job and all. It is true. But the, that's not what the enemy wants. 
What the enemy is really fighting for is your destiny. The only thing, please write this down, that impacts the negative of darkness is the destiny of the Christian. Not the job of the Christian. Not the marriage of the Christian. Not all of those things. You know, what impacts Satan is that you fulfill your destiny. If you want, you want houses, you want cars, you want breakthrough, you want, uh, you know, marriage, you want seven boys and seven girls, children, you want all of those things and you will not fulfill your destiny. Satan is okay. It's okay. Because you having all of those things without you fulfilling destiny does not impact him. It's when you fulfill your destiny, which by implication means that you are giving expression to God, having experienced God. You are now setting Pharaoh's palace on fire because you saw the burning bush. Moses was in Pharaoh's palace for 40 years. He didn't bother Pharaoh. The Bible never said one day. You know, Pharaoh, you know, devil motivated. Devil, Pharaoh, Moses was living there. It wasn't a threat. It wasn't a threat. They were happy with him being there. On the one day he said, oh, no, no, no. He refused to be called the, the, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He stepped out into destiny. Then when he came back, he said, let my people go. That's when Pharaoh was threatened. Destiny is what threatens the enemy. So all the yes, there is a battle concerning your stay in the country. Check it. It's not about you just being deported to make your mother cry. That's not the issue. The issue is your destiny. And until you see it as a battle for your destiny, you will be fighting small potatoes. I had a pastor conference two years ago, and I told the pastors, I said, you know, one of the biggest mistakes you will ever make, like they told me in those days, is for them to tell you, you know, yeah, why are you worrying yourself? It's ministry. It's the work of God. Let God do his work. I said, if anybody tells you that, just tell them, God bless you, and respectfully move away. I said, let me say this to you. Everywhere you see the word ministry, in the New Testament, as a pastor, slotting the word destiny. So, for example, in Colossians 4.17, when it says, say to Archibos, Say to it that you fulfill the ministry which you have received from the Lord. Fulfill it. So take it to the destiny which you have received. Then fulfill it. Don't use the word. If you can use the word ministry, you would think that, you know, it's just God's work. But if you see it as the word destiny, you fight. You fight. You fight for it. It's your destiny. It's not just about a job. It's your, this is your destiny. So all this, I'm tired. I don't, even, I don't feel I want to go on. Well, if you don't go on, Revelation chapter 3 verse 11 says, you know, it says you should stand. Let another man take your crown. If you don't go on, somebody else will have to slot it because God's purpose will still have to be fulfilled. You have to fight. There's a battle going on, but you have to fight. And that's why you need the word of God as a sword. The enemy does not want you to give full expression to God in your destiny. You must resist him. But, however, the Bible says resist him in the faith. The Bible doesn't say you should just resist him. It says you have to be steadfast in the faith. You know, that's why when I used to be a Pentecostal, I, I would read this scripture like Pentecostals teach us, teach us, and they would say resist him. Just resist him. And they would not tell us what this thing really means. The Pentecostals are amazing people. They inspire, they don't destruct. But what the Bible says here, it says resist him. But 
you got to know you can only be steadfast in the faith. You can never, you and I cannot resist the enemy by the decibel of our voice. We can resist him by our determination. Listen, listen, listen. Fasting can never resist the devil. Prayer doesn't resist the devil. Oh, someone say, oh, Pastor, we we'll resist the devil in prayer. That's not true. We don't resist the devil by prayer. We resist the devil, listen carefully, by the word of God through prayer. Through prayer. You don't drink the pipe in your house. You drink the water that comes through the pipe. It is true that the water will not get to you if there's no pipe. But what you are really looking for is the water. Is the water that refreshes, not the pipe. Don't let us confuse it. The prayer is a channel of communication to the realm of the spirit. But what you want to really communicate is the word. So why should I buy airtime if I will not speak? So understand this. Ephesians chapter 6 then, okay, from verse 11 to 13, let's look at it quickly. NLT says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Okay? Note what it says. All the strategies of the devil. For, for you to stand against all the strategies. Satan is fighting me. I don't have a job. He's fighting me on this side for my finances. Fighting me on this side. You know, my boss at work is stressing me. Oh, so he's fighting me on this side. Fighting me. All of those strategies of the devil. He said, your, your solution is to put on all of the armor of God. Verse 12 tells us, this is New Testament, Ephesians 6, 12. We are not fighting against our in-laws, mother-in-law, father-in-law. No, we are not fighting against our stepmom. We are not fighting against people, flesh and blood enemies. But we are fighting, listen to this now, against evil rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Note what it says there. This is for my African uh, people that are related to my wife from Africa. You are fighting these authorities in the unseen world, not in the African village. So somebody said, well, I know that I had a dream. In the dream I had, I saw this woman. She's like my distant aunt. She lives in the village. No, no, no. Mm -mm. You have the people, the forces you are fighting, that might be an agent. But the, the forces you are really fighting, if you finish the agent, it's, it's, I mean, if you fire a real estate agent that is looking for a house, you find there many, we have real estate agents everywhere. Everywhere, real estate agents. Somebody, another real estate agent will drop on the case and say, I will find you a house. So the, another demon will always be there. Find another agent that they will use. But if you deal with them in the unseen world, not in the remote village, against mighty powers in the dark world, Look at what it says. I like it. Against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Can you imagine evil in heavenly? Evil spirits in the heavenly places. So what am I supposed to do, Lord? <laughs> All these things. Verse 13. Thank you, for Jesus, for saying this. You know, verse 13 says, Therefore, put on. What am I supposed to do? Eh, you will need it. 
every piece of God's armor. So you will be able to resist the enemy. Look at this now. In the time of evil. NKJV says in the evil day. And that one comes to everybody. Because this letter is being written to the church. And it says there's something called in the evil day. There's a time that comes when you face all sorts of the devil. What will you do? What will you do when the enemy suddenly attacks? When Moab, Montsia, and all of these forces suddenly come, your finances, your health, your marriage, everything is attacked. All of a sudden, within the space of three weeks, what do you do? He said, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, come on now, you will still be standing firm. You will stand firm in the name of Jesus Christ. So, all of God's armor is required to resist and defeat the enemy in the time of evil. However, of all the armor listed in the book of Ephesians, the only offensive weapon is the sword of the Spirit. So, if you don't have that sword, you will only be playing defense. You'll be running helter-skelter. So if you find yourself running from pillar to post, running elder skelter, you know, today we see that, you know, today, some people today now, as I said this morning now, they've been to three churches. They've been to three churches, two in Africa, one in Caribbean island, and one, four, this is the fourth church they've been, they're going to now. They're running elder skelter because they don't have an offensive weapon. Oh, verse 14, Ephesians chapter 6, let's continue. Stand therefore, Having gathered your waist with truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Come on now, verse 15. Shut your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I'm liking it now. Pay attention to verse 16. Watch this now. Above all, it says, take the shield of faith. And look at what it says. Please believe the scripture. Don't believe your experience. Take the shield of faith by which you will quench. Come on now. All the fiery darts of the wicked world. Nothing can penetrate the shield of faith. You will quench it. Don't believe your experience. Believe the scripture. It says all the fiery darts. You will quench it. Verse 16. But, sir, you said you sell I should take all the armor. Then verse 17 says, take the helmet of salvation. That's the one that will help you so that you don't, in the circumstances, now become depressed or say, I want to commit suicide, you know, your mind can still be intact. He says, and, please, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. People don't have this sword. You know, they don't have this sword. The sword of the Spirit, listen, is what, write this down, please. Write it down. It is the sword of the Spirit that pierces the adversary and cut through the opposition. You know, when the Bible says the, the Red Sea was di divided, you read stories like that. You read, it is the sword of the Spirit that pierces the adversary and cuts through the opposition. Without this thing called the sword of the Spirit, you are fighting with bare hands. You're fighting with bare hands. And yes, you're fighting but you're fighting with bare hands. And you can't do that. Now, you know, I just showed you Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, right? Taking the helmet of salvation, right? 
and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god that's what i just showed you right ephesians 6 17. now let's look at the next verse switch it for me next verse ephesians 6 18. look at what it says in verse 18. it says now praying ah you mean it's not talking about prayer sins no he said first put on the whole armor take the sword take the word before you're not praying always you know but you know for us the way i used to do it and including myself the way i used to do it is that men always ought to pray so i always just want to pray but the bible says yes men always ought to pray but you pray always with all kind of prayer you want to pray now but make sure you have the sword of the spirit how long does it take me pastor to get this word of the spirit well it depends on the battle you're facing and depends on where you are for some people listen carefully so you can hear me clearly for some people based on what they're going through and the rate at which the situation is deteriorating please i want you to hear me so you don't make a mistake so satan doesn't cheat you you're going through a challenge the challenge is getting worse and worse and worse or standing at a stand still getting worse and worse and you pray you're fasting but looks like you don't have the sword and you don't have the strength and, and, and i've not thought on that today because before you even put on the armor verse 10 says be strong in the lord and in the power of his might you are not at that you know at that point and your situation is getting worse the truth is this by the time you're getting this sword you're already dead so what do i need to do you need to find somebody that has a working knowledge of the word and let them pray no just don't just get anybody to be in the prayer chain with you so that you're not in chain find somebody that has a working knowledge of the word okay that working knowledge you so basically in literal terms it means you are behind the person pointing to the situation and the person is using their own sword that's what happens then from that then you get your own sword because by the time the person leaves you the enemy want to come back and find out if that house is empty so at least if you don't have a sword have a knife have something that you can tell them hey and then we say ah when i came three weeks ago you didn't have anything in your hands now at least you have a knife then you fight but you need to have a sword you need to have a sword you can't do without sword listen i want to give you uh just one or two seeds because i know somebody here somebody is out there today that needs victory this week you can't wait the enemy is be moving goliath is moving towards you but you need victory i know i have at least three witnesses out there that need victory you need victory in this situation you're going through you need victory you need to let the devil know that you are a child of god and whatsoever is born of god overcomes the world they've been pursuing you in your dreams you've been having dreams you've been feeling this in your body you want to pray on your own sometimes you can't even pray you feel that the case and the enemy is convincing you just give up the case is over you can never win this it's time for you to rise up this afternoon and say no i have a sword in my hand now where's the devil let's quickly look at let's start with nkjv psalm 89 psalm 89 
Let's look at verse 22, NKJV. So, let's start from verse 20, 20 because so that I can put it a bit in context. I have found my servant David. Thank you, Lord. I found my servant David with my holy oil. Kabush Nepali and I've anointed him. Ah, With whom my hand, the purposes of God, shall be established. My arm shall strengthen him. Give it to me, please, verse 22. God said, with complete, listen carefully, live now. With complete authority, God said, the enemy will not outwit him. <laughs> Nor the son, that's their agent of wickedness, afflict him. Now, someone might say, well, you know, Pastor is talking about David. Yes, that is what is written. But let's convert it to what is living. Go back to it again, verse 20. This scripture talks about David for David. That's why David, check the Bible. David never lost any battle. But the scripture is actually a prophecy about Jesus. Jesus Christ, Jesus the anointed one. Okay? How God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost of power. He went about doing good. All right? Healing all those oppressed of the devil. Look, sorry, John 6, 38. I did not, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of my father. John 6, 38. So he said, with whom my hand shall be established, the will of the father. That's what Jesus came to do. So he said, the enemy will not outwit him, and you know, the enemy never outwitted Jesus Christ. And the son of wicked did not afflict him because though he was in the grave, he came down. None of his bones was broken. And he, the Bible says in Acts 2.24, all right, the grave could not hold him. Now listen very carefully. Somebody say, oh, I thank God for David, pastor, and I thank God for Jesus. The good news is this. Romans 8.17 says we are joined here with Christ. As it is with Christ, so it is with you. So you are joined here with Christ. We were crucified with Christ. No, let me start from the very beginning. For I died with Christ. I was buried with Christ. I was crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20 I was made alive with Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 1 or 2. Okay, I was made alive in Christ. That's when I got born again. Okay, that I am now raised up together with Him. Okay, Ephesians two six. Now number six, I am now seated with Christ in heavenly places, far above everybody. The Lord was the way the destiny of the head is the destiny of the body. If the head won, the body won. As a matter of fact, let me say this: If you look at wrestling boxing, and all of that. You know, when somebody gets into the, into the ring, they fight, they fight, they move their head, move their head, shake their head. But when they give them the belt, they tie it around their body, not on the head. So Christ might have won, but I'm the one that is showing the victory. Listen carefully. So it means that in other words, some, you see, it's, the word is living now. It's now not just written. It's now living. It's, so Psalm 89 now, let's, let's now look at it in the NLT. New Living Translation. Psalm 89, verse 22. Please. His enemies will not defeat him. Nor will the wicked overpower. He didn't say the wicked will not come with intimidating force. He says they will never overpower you. He says your enemies will not defeat you. 
you have to believe God. He says, your enemies will not defeat you. Whatever diagnosis the, the, the doctors have said that is in your body, that sickness will not defeat you. No matter how long it's been going, it will not defeat you. What they said is a terminal disease is terminated today. It will not defeat you. Your financial situation will not defeat you. The challenges you are going through will not defeat you. Oh, please say with me, you will not defeat me. Oh, say it again, you will not defeat me. Say it with authority now, you will not defeat me. This is the seed. This is the seed. It will not defeat you. Now, if God says it will not defeat you, that means, we're turning the written word to living word now, that means, the one that says, go, don't worry, it will not defeat you. That means he has a plan to defeat them for me. Do you understand now? So you, all you need to do now is to go forward. Because if he says, the Red Sea will not defeat me. He says, then go forward. It means he's about to open it. Um, I know that my father did not see this type of miracle. Moses was saying. I know Abraham did not see this type of miracle. Isaac did not see it. Satan is telling me as I'm going forward. So if God is going to do this, did Abraham, the father of faith, did he see something like this? Did Isaac ever see the Red Sea open? I mean, did Jacob, that God showed up to Jacob, God saw him, he wrestled with God. Did you ever see the rest of open? But what I have to understand that the works that I do, you shall do also. Greater works than this shall you see, shall you do. Listen carefully. It is true. People ahead of you might not have seen this. There might be no precedent for your case. But Exodus 34 verse 10 covers you. God said, I will do something that has not been done in all of the earth. So listen to me carefully today. Your enemies, and your enemies I'm talking about right now, whether it's sickness, poverty, shame, uh, potential deportation, whatever it is, it will not defeat you. This situation will not defeat you. Maybe only three people are saying amen. But this situation will not defeat you. This, I kept on saying to myself, Satan, you have come to the wrong place. You, can't, you, know, you know it, and I know it, and I know it that you know I know it. Satan, you know I know it. You can't defeat me. I'm undefeatable by you. You can't. You cannot defeat me. You are joking. You can't defeat me. I cannot be defeated. According to the word of God, I will not be defeated. This situation will not defeat me. Come on, come on, convince yourself. Say it to yourself. This thing will not defeat me. Look at that thing and say it. This is the seed of the world. You will not defeat me. You can't. You can't defeat me. You're lying. Let God be true and every man be a liar. You cannot defeat me. Who is it that speaks and it comes to pass when God has not commanded? You can't defeat me. Poverty, you can't defeat me. Sickness, you can't defeat me. Shame, you can't come near me. This situation will not defeat me. Failure, you can't defeat me. You're under my feet. Hallelujah. You will not defeat me. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Every tongue that rises up against me in judgment, I condemn. For this is the heritage of the servants of the law, and the righteousness is of him. You will not defeat me. You will not defeat me. Come on, say it one more time. Say it again. You will not defeat me. Now, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. I like to take this very seriously. This word is burning in me. Burning in me. I want you, in your personal way, to say the name of the situation. 
call it and tell it you will not defeat me you know you know you know judas sat on the same table with jesus having gone the night before to go and plan with chief priest about to betray jesus and as i read the scripture it was almost like i was transplanted in that room and i said to myself when judas entered that room he felt he had power he felt very powerful all these people they don't know what's going to happen tomorrow going to do something to this Jesus and to be over. He felt very powerful. He didn't know that prophecy says he cannot be defeated. So Jesus said, tomorrow all of you that are sitting on this table with me will, sorry, said this night will betray me. And everybody said, see me, see me, see me. Jesus said, what about me? Jesus said, you have said it. And the Bible said, he went out and it was dark. He was the one that hanged himself. He actually died before Jesus died. He hung himself. And the Bible now tells us in Acts 2.24 that while Jesus laid down in the grave, the Bible says it was impossible for the grave to hold him. Listen, I want to let you understand. Poverty cannot hold you down. That letter they wrote to you, it will not hold down your destiny. That diagnosis they said they have seen, it will not hold you down. That news you had that you are getting depressed about, that news will not hold you down. That negative situation will not hold you down. You are a child of God, it will not hold you down. This is the end of the message. We are sure that you have been blessed. For more information, please visit our website at www.houseofpraise.ca. God bless you.